Ladies and gentlemen, the following program is produced with a vengeance by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. True Crime Uncensored, I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. Happy to be here. Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, is here. Hi there, <laughs> Professor great. McClellan. Oh, Professor. Erotophonophilia. <laughs> I th- we decided you should just call it Lust Murder Guide to Killer Sex. <laughs> and make it more accessible to the general public. Uh, erotophonophilia sounds like, come on, I want to lay you. I mean, it's... Erotophonophobia. That's where you're a fear of, of, of erotic phonograph records. All right, here's a, here's a, I have a fear of not telling the rest of the audience outside of Kaplan University who we're talking to. So why don't we do a proper intro? Uh, this is Professor Janet McClellan, who's been on the show a, a few times, and she's got more credentials and uh, letters after her name than the, the alphabet. Hey, and, Janet, seriously, how, uh, and uh, doctor, uh, I suppose, you, you tell me what uh, you know how I should address you. Oh, please. Uh, Janet is just fine. Okay, Thank you. I would like you to call me doctor. Anything you want, girl. That's Howard. This yeah. is Howard. Uh, yeah. there's, uh, I'm, I'm the oh, co-host. Yeah. I'm the guy that doesn't get billing in uh, uh, in Google, which I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 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 Janet... How, if you were to take all the degrees you have and put, put transfer them into letters after your name, how many would it be? Uh, I have a bachelor's degree, a master's, uh, one um, Ph.D. and one uh, all-but dissertation Ph.D. I, it just, I became a student and just became enamored with it, I guess, and stayed there. <laughs> well, it's an honor to speak with you. Last time I spoke with you, uh, you were still in Alaska, uh, freezing your uh, credentials <laughs> off. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you finally you had enough of uh, Alaska phobia. <laughs> well, you know it was a it was a lovely place and I enjoyed myself but you know in the winter time 30 40 degrees below zero it uh the, the adventure literally went south on me. Hey, hey Janet, can <laughs> yes? you see Russia from your doorstep? <laughs> Oh, stop. <laughs> wait for politics for the next hour. <laughs> no, no, um, no, I was in Fairbanks, so it's harder to see Russia from there. Uh, uh, I'd be, I've been there. I thought that town would be larger than it is, but you could get out of that town in seven minutes. I'll say this, and just for and this has nothing to do with this show, but boy, Alaska is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And I didn't expect it to be. Oh, it's gorgeous. Man, is it unbelievable. It is. Yeah. It, is. It's a- it is. It's absolutely gorgeous. And they have uh, very, very, fra- uh, the strongest privacy laws of any state in the United States. The privacy laws in Alaska are stronger than federal privacy in laws. Fact, in fact, they're so private, you're not allowed to know. That's right. And, and you can get a good corned beef sandwich in Skagway. <laughs> really? <laughs> It's not yes. If anything that has skag in it, Howard knows all about it. So well, you know, like, when, I, when I first went, I thought that people were just wonderful up there. I mean, you know, they're friendly and that. And I remarked to uh, uh, a gentleman who had been up there oh, uh, probably generations, actually, he and his family. And I said, Alaska is just, you know, wonderfully friendly people everywhere. And he's going, there's a half million people in the state. We're not friendly. We're lonely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, interesting thing about the Alaska prison system is the uh, child murderers are not kept separate. Down here in the lower 48, if you've murdered children, things like that, for your own safety, they keep you away from the general population. They throw these guys into the general prison. And no one gives them a bad time. They don't? No. Right. You're absolutely right. What's the deal there? Do you have any insights on that, Janet? Perhaps it's not as publicly driven as, well, that's something that's supposed to happen, you know, because everybody that uh, is an inmate is outside first, correct? Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's a sort of taking on of a presumed social norm, Weird. you know, in regards to behavior towards uh, other inmates or typing other inmates in regards to uh, behaviors, because quite frankly, although um, that's much talked about, uh, there's been no research into why that might, within the prison population, why that might be true, let alone separating it from any other level of uh, type of violence against particular uh, uh, inmate classifications of what they did on the outside. Yeah, because uh, Kirby Anthony, who raped and murdered his aunt and her two little kids, is a general population. Those kids were like, you know, four and nine. And they leave them. See, this is what strikes me, because every state in the Union, 
with the exception now I'm hearing of Alaska, will keep them separate. They keep them separate because the general They'll prison violation absolutely just kills them. I mean, well, you don't I, want to I, get I into think, But I think you have to look at the, quite frankly, the size of the popula- prison population in Alaska. Uh, compared with, uh, one, it is a, a small population state, all, although huge. And, 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 so, of, and so there's just a small amount of prisoners and they're all Rhodes Scholars. Is that what you're going to tell me? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. No, um, but also, you know, uh, there's no standardized sentencing practices in the state of Alaska, unlike uh, the majority of states uh, in the other 48-plus Hawaii. So there's no, uh, like, mandatory sentencing or sentencing standards? Right. Uh, there's Well, it, you know, of course, there's a, uh, a range of possible incarceration you know, time length, but there's no standardized sentencing as, as one has in... Uh, oh, well, California and, and Oregon and, uh, like I said, the vast majority of states in the lower 48. In other words, uh, if if an individual commits burglary, uh, he or she could end up in a, a range of uh, uh, years, depending on, uh, uh, if you will, it's a, a 5 to 15 kind of a thing. They can land anywhere in there, as opposed to uh, in standardized sentencing um uh, state that uh, there is a window of months, you know, that is a, this is expected if, you know, let's say 36 months, if they uh, receive a guilty, anything less or more than that uh, has to be explained, and which is not by the judge, uh, which is not the case in Alaska. How weird. Alaska's strange anyway. Of course, you live there, and that probably explains that. Now, you've written about <laughs> long-haul truck drivers who are serial killers. You've written this wonderful bargain book, only $127. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, her book is $127 in hardback. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. Well, here's a, here's, here's a surprise. I'm not buying it. <laughs> uh, it's a textbook. I'd love to. I'd love to. Well, you know, uh, it's my understanding you can now uh, Kindle it down or, you know, download it and uh, at a significantly... Uh, oh, is it, is it available on Kindle at a reduced price? Um, my understanding is uh, through Amazon or Kindle or that kind of thing that uh, one can download it now. Janet, I'm uh, here. I am here to help. I'm here to help you sell books. <laughs> but I can do nothing with a $127 price tag. People who commit these lust homicides don't do it because... They're going to make money out of it, or they're going to. Right. And when they steal something, they because oh look, rubies. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not that. It's to have like a, a souvenir. So what what the payoff is for them is actually some sort of eroticization of killing people. They're not actually, um, as I've mentioned in the book, really um, lust or lustful, if you will, by nature or inclination. What they're actually after is uh, control domination, causing pain, inflicting terror, uh, unto and after death. You, 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 you write this, uh, this um, uh, book that becomes a, a text for uh, training law enforcement, uh, criminologists, and so forth. Um, did you find that there was a deficiency in the subject matter? Uh, you know, from a, uh, um, an educational or from a procedural perspective? Well, I have to the uh, the book uh, up, which is about investigating lust murder. What I did was uh, compare the uh, the leading, if you will, theories and um, practices uh, associated with profiling individuals, particularly uh, who commit uh, serial murders, to see how well that they might fit in attempting to describe a, a number case studies of a number of individuals. And ultimately what I found uh, was that if you put those four together uh, and examine them, because each one of them speaks differently to the same kinds of characterizations, Mm -hmm. everybody has their own title to a particular uh, uh, activity, behavior, or definition of a behavior. So there's nothing standard. It's not standardized, no. And it's really how an individual might be uh, trained in, uh, for example, a particular... State agencies uh, would train their investigators in homes and homes uh, uh, analysis of profile serial killers. Then you have a center net. Then if you combine that with the uh, the other leading theorists, um, you... what you're trying to do is narrow down who who likely 
uh, within your population base uh, how you might identify the ind- an individual who commits uh, the series of uh, murders that you're investigating. Is uh, did you did you find that the the uh, psychology of a traditional serial killer uh, different from the psychology of a sexual? Uh, uh, sexually motivated killer? Yeah. Yeah, but you can have both. I'm not going to answer the question for our guest, but go ahead. Well, uh, when we when we speak of uh, sexualized homicide, uh, we're not talking about somebody who's committing a uh, committing a crime of violence. And essentially what it is that motivates them in regards to uh, the uh, perhaps a type of individual or uh, sometimes just a person who happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. They have uh, predatorial uh, tendencies, and so what they're looking to do is to satisfy their um, desires, and their desires being psychological as opposed to being sexual in, in motivation. Sex is almost as an afterthought. And, and in some cases, after the murder. And this is different than oh, 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 back crimes up. of passion? I beg your pardon? This is different oh, well, than yeah. a crime of passion. Okay, how well, sure. A crime of, pa- a crime of passion uh, is that, um, well, it's a, a spouse murders a, a spouse. Uh, that's somebody whom you know intimately, uh, and you are motivated by mm, whatever the, the difficulty is within that particular relationship. Uh, think of it as, a, a, well, the phrase is used as expressive homicide as opposed to instrumental homicide. Um, violent sexual uh, predators use the individual as an instrument. Think of them as a, a vehicle to f- the furtherance of the ends of their satisfaction, gratification, where um, in regards to an individual who a spouse kills a spouse, crime of passion, that's expressive violence. That's an interpersonal, you know... Uh, you get so pissed exp- off you kill them. <laughs> Right, exactly. But that's not necessarily just spouse. It could be relationship-based. It could oh, be a, yes. Okay. Right, uh, it doesn't have to be overly significant. Well, it's, uh, but it's, you're emotionally attached to the individual. Right. Um, and the, so it's a, and an expression of that discontent, that anger, towards that individual for a particular reason, whether real or imagined. But uh, you're satisfying, if you will, a um, a violent tendency at that point to that individual with a targeted reason, as opposed to um, an instrument that the person is a vehicle to an end that you have psychologically. So, like, if you're out killing a total stranger because you're getting some sort of thrill out of it, that's different than getting mad at your uh, girlfriend and bumping her off. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, we had one we, we talked about uh, last week where uh, here locally where this uh, woman had her sister hired her sister to kill her husband because she didn't like anal sex. Now she could have either divorced him <laughs> or she could have uh, said, "Honey, uh, I don't like that. Uh, here's eighty dollars." <laughs> well, the case was a real pain in the ass. Here's eighty dollars. <laughs> What's the eighty dollars? So you go out and buy someone to poke in the tuchus for eighty bucks. Well, I didn't say the guy was going to get someone really good. Where do you good. get the eighty buck ass? Craigslist. Oh, thank you. Okay, just checking. <laughs> sorry, uh, that, sorry, that, professor. That is a very unusual uh, uh, motivation. Uh, not not a, a real critical thinker. <laughs> no, no, no. Plus the fact that the guy, being an assistant DA, uh, had a gun on him, and when the sister tried to kill him, he killed her in self-defense, and so the wife was prosecuted for the murder of her own sister and attempted murder of her husband. Thank you. Good night. Good night. So, professor, wow. professor, professor. What yes. what what brought you into this area of lust murders? <laughs> lust murders. And what were you thinking about? What were you doing <laughs> at the moment when, you when the notion the notion hit you that this is a career choice? It, it, yes, it's an unusual career choice. But uh, I started in law enforcement when I was nineteen, um, back with the original uh, bell bottom mm-hmm. wearing group. That'll get you. Oh well, then we're all the yeah. same age here. But, but you, <laughs> you, you started you started out at at, at nineteen as what? A, just a, a an officer in the police department? No, actually, I was an undercover narcotics investigator. Um, wow! Oh, so you knew where the dope was at nineteen? Yeah. Right. Well, I, cops have the best dope. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I have to tell you, I was raised in Leavenworth, Kansas. And uh, my father was a deputy warden back there, so um, the, the joke has always been that uh, it was a matter of being typecast. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, I had had an opportunity and took an opportunity to uh, uh, become part of the uh, state police system with the university system in the state of Washington. And when I arrived, uh, an individual had been committing serial murders of uh, co-eds on campuses in the, in the state. Uh, they didn't know who he was, later identified by, as somebody by the name of Ted. And um, be Campus, Bundy. Yes, ultimately, yeah, ultimately he was identified as him. And uh, I fit the physical description of the girls that uh, Ted Bundy was killing during that period. So I thought that they were hiring me because, uh, well, you know how it is. A <laughs> good <you're>... victim. <laughs> right, I picked the victim um, uh, typology. And uh, so during my, my tenure with the, uh, the university system up there, um, I was used as fate. Did that help? It uh, was not something I discussed with my mother. Uh, <laughs> hey, Mom, I'm going to be bait for a serial killer. Let me part my hair down the middle. If I'm still alive, I'll call you Sunday. Well, I know. I know. I, and you're absolutely right. It was one of the things I always said that uh, one of the types of his victimology group was that they had young women with uh, hair parted down the middle. What was the 70s? Yeah. Who didn't part their hair down the middle? I also had to be dark hair helped a lot. Dark hair. Right. right. It was supposed to be... Uh, dark hair and, and that kind of thing, but it's a broad-based uh, typology. So uh, as a result of that, of getting assigned to that, I uh, enjoyed uh, uh, a couple of opportunities to get some training from the, uh, the FBI that they had sent out and a part of the uh, investigative consortium that had been originated at that point in time in that part of the world. And so, as a result of being bait and signed up or signed into that, I was volunteered, you understand. Yes. <laughs> We're volunteering you to go get killed. Oh, we, we understand that. Right, right. Um, the question arose in my mind, as you can imagine, uh, when I'm wandering around in the dark, uh, waiting for somebody to leap out of the bushes or whatever was supposed to be going on, was what was going on and who was, the, who was somebody like that? What's the motivation? And uh, so, quite frankly, I suppose you could say that Ted Bundy gave me my career. Wow. Yeah. Now, you, uh, if we can say it, then we will. Yeah. Okay. And well, also, okay. also, you did research on long-haul truckers who often don't take their meds. <laughs> well, or that is they're taking far too many of their meds. Uh, yes. Uh, I asked a question, uh, I haven't asked it on the air, but I asked it to, to you an email. You look at guys like John Wayne Gacy, who was uh, picking up uh, young boys, having sex with them, and then murdering them and using them to you know, shore up the foundation of the house. Hmm. I remember one time you mentioned that you believed that there were more female psychopaths in the world than there were male, if I'm, being, if I'm correct. Uh, well, must have been somebody else. Oh, well, someone said that on the show. Uh, assuming there are at least uh, some female psychopaths out there, are there cases of uh, females doing that with young girls? I do not know. Off, I haven't read any research recently, or even in the uh, the, the remote past, that, that, uh, that indicates that there has been. Now, uh, I haven't come across that. That's not to say that there isn't something. But imagine the notoriety that that would have occurred around a case like that, and we haven't heard of it. Uh, remember Ali Mornos? Mm-hmm. Okay, she has always been labeled as the you know the, a primary um, example of a female serial killer who kills uh, men. Actually, she doesn't fit real well in regards to any of the, uh, the typologies. And I think that, uh, if I remember correctly, you, you mentioned about doing some reading and research about her, uh, she's significantly uh, mentally ill. Yes. I mean, well, yeah, she thought she was of, coming back in a spaceship. Right. Well, I mean, she's um, certifiably yeah. uh, mentally ill. Uh, in terms of any classification that any psychologist or psychiatrist might do, which is is and has not always been the case with the uh, the male sexual uh, serial killer. Well, someone who's perfectly normal is not killing people as a general rule. As a general rule, but there is the <laughs> exception. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know them. I did talk to a woman who was in prison with Warnos, and I asked, "What was your take on her?" She said, "She was crazy bitch." 
That was the uh, official uh, pronouncement. Non, non, yeah. <laughs> Non-clinical term. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she was batshit crazy. <laughs> so, and that's someone well, who had to interact with her on a daily basis. Yeah, well, it's, it's much like, um, think of the um, uh, certifications of mental illness associated with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, that occurred primarily after he was uh, in, in car, you know, placed in prison and uh, the assessments done um, on him. And then they provided him with uh, medication to, I mean, essentially he was a schizophrenic, an undiagnosed schizophrenic. So they gave him home. medication so they could take him to trial? Well, uh, certainly. Uh, yeah. In terms of, you know, going to trial, you know, one of the basic ideas, premises, and the requirement is that you're able to assist in your own defense. And at the uh, disorganized uh, mental level that he was prior to uh, receiving medication, he would not have been able to provided any kind of assistance or support to to his counsel. Not that it, it, it was any value uh, to him. Right. Well, see, now that's, that I, that strikes me as very, very strange. I heard the same thing with uh, uh, Rhonda Glover, who was uh, not competent to stand trial. And the way they got her to be competent was saying to her, you can't mention these things because it's too dangerous. So don't talk about topic X, Y, and Z. Because she wouldn't talk about it, that made her competent. Well, uh, that's uh, yeah. very strange to me. Now, uh, Charles Manson, we had uh, uh, the gentleman who wrote the book, Charles Manson, now on the show. And Manson, who's been diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia, has never received any medication at any time. How many letters do you think Manson's got after his name? Is <laughs> <laughs> that too many? Well, well you know, well, it, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that he refuses to take. One cannot necessarily force, and unless he, you know, while he's incarcerated, uh, seems to pose a danger, you know, to himself, then uh, they're not going to be medicating him. Yeah, they haven't the entire time he's been in there. Well, and, and uh, if you've watched any of the programs where people have interviewed him over the years, it's kind of evident that they're not medicating him. Yeah, and he doesn't mind being in solitary. He's perfectly comfortable with that. Well, it probably feels like a very safe environment yeah, for him, perhaps one of the few. Yeah. Uh, let alone the fact that uh, his what incarceration, um, the amount of time in which he's been incarcerated in his life, uh, that's probably one of the most comfortable environments well, yeah, for him. When, when he was at McNeil Island Federal Penitentiary up in uh, Seattle and they let him go, he said, don't let me go. Please yeah. don't. Yeah. Please keep me here. He said, no, yeah. you got to go. That's a rough yeah, you, know, you get three square and a, a nice clean sheets. And that's a, all he knew. That's it. I mean, you know, people know that, and then they get out of prison, and, and they don't know what to do. Well, that's a reading to do, television. Self-defense. Well, lunch, you know, lunch, I man. mean, uh, <laughs> clean room, three meals a day, um, lots of reading, and, a, and a, you know, a television screen, quite frankly, at that time of maybe an 8 by 8 inch square. Uh, would you really give up your own freedom for that uh, 6 by 8 room? I'm thinking. <laughs> with what he's been through lately, he might go for that. What I found interesting is that the fellow who uh, was uh, convicted of murder and then let let out. When he got out, he got himself a little eight by eight room, <laughs> isolated from everyone else, and stayed in it for a long time because he couldn't deal mm-hmm. with the, the freedom. It's almost like self medicating, isn't it? Yeah, I've been practicing oh, that a, for years. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> I have a T-shirt yeah. that says "Me Too." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is. It's almost like you know that uh, they, you know, everyone seeks uh, their comfort level, and uh, yes, one might be uh, clinically designated uh, as uh, whatever uh, clinical designation, but uh, all the individuals are human beings, even the worst. Really. Yeah. Now yeah. you you you've been doing research on uh, murderous uh, black people or something, right? Um, I'm doing research, and I've got a, a book in the works of African American uh, serial murderers. And the reason that I'm researching that is that there's some uh, large uh, misunderstandings uh, associated with persons who commit serial murders. 
And when I say misunderstandings, what I'm what I'm getting at there is the you know what one typically sees on TV in the movies and that that it's a uh, oh a brilliant white guy uh, who who plans well, uh, usually you know causes havoc with some FBI or state agent's uh, life, that kind of thing. Sells very well. People love to watch it, but it's it's not true. That those essentially are the sort of myths associated with uh, serial murder that you know, are perpetrated more by... Uh, what you're looking at is the, the presumption that all these serial murderers are uh, very bright. And so uh, it's a bias and prejudice uh, associated with... Uh, uh, African American serial murders. One, we, there certainly can't be any because they're not um, smart we, enough. <laughs> well, because we, you know, I mean, it's a you know, it's a it's a racial bias. So they're not smart enough to be. That is very weird. To say. Uh, I remember back in, what was it, 1980, whatever the FBI did their 1990 their study on how many serial killers there were operating in the United States at any given time. And as I recall, you decided to, to check their figures by doing a LexisNexis and all sorts of other research to find out if there were between 65 and 100, if I got the figure right, serial killers running around America, were they right? Well, yeah, they uh, they were right. Their original uh, estimate gave a rather broad range of somewhere between 35 to 100. That's a broad and... range. I, I can't even <laughs> imagine how they can give any range because it assumes that they're, they're catching them all. They really know who's doing what to who. Uh, exactly, and so that's really what it comes down to, and then ultimately how I had to conduct that, that little bit of research, because I looked at uh, cases that had gone over a 10-year span, and uh, the, the number and types of individuals that were out there at any one time over that 10 years was 63. Uh, so there were 63 and, serial killers operating in America over a 10-year period? Uh, at any one time. At any one time. That's anyone. comforting. Sounds like an average. <laughs> right. So, pretty much. so they were, you know, within, uh, they were kind of mid-ranging it, uh, there a little bit. So it was, a, like I said, a pretty broad net that they'd cast. Um, but bear in mind that, uh, or that some of those folks had uh, remained at large uh, for up to 20 years. Um, only 18 of those had remained at large less than a year. Uh, so there were most of them that were out there for quite an extensive period of time. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, they were responsible for over uh, 750 homicides, 92% uh, that were uh, women. Now, did they ever do any studies that showed any uh, geographical blumping of these people? Were they more common to be found in Iowa? or, or was it that? <laughs> Um, no, but uh, actually the um, in areas where there are greater uh, population concentrations, you of course find more people doing just a lot of things. And uh, in areas where there's greater population concentration, 100,000 um, population and better, then you're going to be finding more. Now, is that because there's, it's easier to, to find the kind of victims you want? Yes. Uh, I think it's just a matter of where people congregate. And then you get all variety of folks. So what I did was look at the uh, Lexus Nexus and find articles and a couple of, uh, of other sources. I came up with uh, a little over 2,500 articles about serial killers, and then looked for them specifically that they were able to identify the individual. Now the definition of serial murder uh, in terms of numbers runs everything from two to four depending on who you're reading, uh, who's doing the research, or who's doing uh, the, if you will, promotion of the idea of serial killing. So there's not always great agreement in the field. The ego <laughs> is so, and, you know, most of these guys, when they do Amazing. get caught, uh, of course, Bundy uh, was a failed law school student, but mm -hmm. usually they want to defend themselves. They believe their egos are so huge that they become their own counsel. Uh, Bundy oh, yeah. did it, uh, uh, Kirby Anthony did it, a lot of them uh, wanted to either be co-counsel or run the whole show. Well, you know, the, uh, the, the detectives and investigators that were, uh, that after um, uh, Ratter was arrested, that were interviewing him, they apparently had all hoped that maybe they would, he would, in fact, talk to them. So they find out motivation, you know, what was going on, are there any other bodies buried in place? 
Well, 35 hours later, they were complaining about the fact that they could not get him to shut up. <laughs> I, I, was re I was reading the stuff. Kind of proves your point. He goes it? on and on. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, he could be doing the after show here. <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> stop. Yeah, apparently just, you know, they just could not get him to shut up. And the more he talked, the more he loved it. And he kind of, well, he uh, looked upon them as being... Uh, uh, Fellow investigators, of course, you know, he was that uh, law enforcement officer. and uh, so he's doing shop talk from the other side of the shop. Yeah, yeah. So it is bragging. Yeah. It is bragging. It is bragging. I mean, uh, bragging rights. He was considered himself quite clever, which is that is yet another one of those myths uh, that just keeps getting out there and keeps... Uh, well, as a result, I suppose, of, you know, popular or less so popular movies uh, about how brilliant, uh, you know, serial murderers are and that. I mean, you take in consideration um, the Green River serial killer. Mm -hmm. um, he had an IQ of 89. Well, this goes back to the statement that the reason why police departments don't hire a lot of really bright guys is because they don't have to because the criminals are less bright. <laughs> Well, I, I, having been a <laughs> police a theory, officer, yeah. I'm not sure how I'll take well, that. Uh, well, when, when, you were, when you were a police officer, did they have an IQ cap at, at uh, that department? I saw there's a website I came across. They have a, this great video which was removed. Police department, this police officer, why is it, he's talking to a quadriplegic. And the quadriplegic, of course, is in the wheelchair. And the cop says, Oh, I saw that. says, I'm Get out of the wheelchair. Yeah, get out of the wheelchair. We, we want to say, this. I can't get out of the wheelchair. I'm a quadriplegic. So the cop takes the th wheelchair and throws the guy out of... Oh, my. One of the, uh, as I recall, one of the contentions, the reason that BTK got himself caught was there was a sort of a 20, 30-year anniversary uh, edition of what had gone on in Wichita that uh, was being... Oh, yeah, he, he, sent, he sent a computer disk. Uh, right. Yeah. First, he asked them, and he, they lied to him. He said, "Yes, uh, you you <laughs> you that. can't trace uh, what computer my computer disk comes from, can you?" Oh, of course not. Okay, I'll send you a computer disk, <laughs> which he did. Right. Yes, but the reason that all that started happening is because the newspaper had started talking about printing materials that they were going to do this 30-year anniversary of the terrorizing of BTK in the Wichita area, and one of the fellows that had done a book. Again, his name escapes me at this point. About the BTK murders, the unsolved, some years before that, apparently was somebody the BTK did not that Raider did not like. Ah, and so he began contacting the newspaper, mostly to just take him to task of don't listen to anything that idiot has to say. Well, you know the uh, the, the detectives and investigators that were uh, that after uh, uh, Ratter was arrested that were interviewing him, they apparently had all hoped that maybe they would, he would, in fact, talk to them. So they find out motivation, you know, what was going on, are there any other bodies buried in place? Well, 35 hours later, they were complaining about the fact that they could not get him to shut up. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, he could be doing the after show here. <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> stop. Yeah, apparently just, you know, they just could not get him to shut up. And the more he talked, the more he loved it. And... He kind of, well, he uh, looked upon them as being uh, uh, fellow investigators. Of course, you know, he was that uh, law enforcement officer. And, uh, so he's doing shop talk from the other side of the shop. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there is a tendency. I mean, think about it. We, we, we still think that the, the, the serial murderer, the bad guy, the whomever, looks like Freddy Krueger. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's doing bad things is going to look like Ted Bundy or, um, you know, Dennis Ratter. You know, he was the, uh, what, president of the, the little church that he belonged to. You know, he was the local dog catcher, security safety officer or something with the community. And the only time he looked bad actually was about four hours into the day that they nabbed him and they put him on TV, TV again, and he was in that orange jumpsuit and he'd been talking for 36 hours. Other than that, he had a, it was his nice little picture when he was in uniform. And you had the guy in Alaska that was 
doing like some out of a movie where he'd kidnap the women and then fly them up into the frozen tundra and set them loose like mm-hmm. wild animals and then chase, hunt them down and kill them. And yeah. he's teaching Sunday school and runs the donut shop. And he's just the nicest fellow. And he had a map, a map in his home with pins of where all the bodies were, you know. Yeah. But you see, that's just it. I mean, people still want to expect only the Freddy Kruegers. And they, they're not looking for, well, they're not paying attention to what, uh, what's really going on around them. Because it isn't the Freddy Kruegers. My goodness, if it was the Freddy, people that look like Freddy Kruegers, you could have them locked up tomorrow. If you're ugly... Man, you got you got knives on the end of your gloves. <laughs> You're in trouble. We're putting you away. Right, right. But that, that, of course, is not the way that it goes. And so we lull ourselves into a sense of, uh, well, security and just not really paying attention. How true is this thing of uh, serial killers can be indicated by the fact that they torture animals, set fires, and wet the bed? Or what the animals bed. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that you bring uh, that up. You know, uh, you're talking about uh, what they call the, Mc- the McDonald Triad, but actually it was Margaret Mead that came up with that. Per- and the, uh, the triad consists of um, uh, bedwetting, fire setting, and uh, animal uh, abuse. More myth than fact. Yeah, it's uh, it essentially it's much more myth than fact, and it's sort of uh, the triad has really, uh, well, gain some uh, popularity, if you will. And the problem with it is that it re- sort of redirects the attention. If you have a child who is bedwetting, one, probably uh, seek medical attention. It doesn't necessarily... <laughs> um, but the, uh, the triad doesn't hold up in, in the research. Well, uh, generally, if you have a 10-year-old who's uh, strangling a pet, you probably have a 10-year-old who's been strangled. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's, okay. uh, that, isn't there a linkage between the fire starting and incest or something like that? Um, uh, no, not necessarily. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of male juvenile behavior that goes along with that. Uh, it's, um, you know, you've got young, youthful male, that 10, 13, 14-age group. Uh, it's a lot of anger coming out again, uh, looking back into the home environment and what's going on there. Um, I would always look to who's been abusing who first. Is that less murderers really only account for, it's enough, but they, uh, as far as we know, because it's naming the persons who are responsible, uh, account for only about 5% of the homicides that take place annually. Now, herein lies the difficulty, as you probably know, the solve rate of homicides in the United States has gone down from 95% to the mid-60s. To currently, uh, the national average, if you took everything together, it's 62%. Now, isn't one of the primary reasons for that is the drop in funding to homicide departments on the uh, from federal down to local? Um, one of the um, one of the things I did look at uh, when I was doing it's another piece of uh, uh, research that I'd had published uh, this last year, I, I believe had to do with uh, the impact of uh, funding after 2001. Right. And, uh, and what I found in the research is that such things as, uh, the, well, the LEA program, LEA LEAP, Law Enforcement Education Program, and funding programs through that, and then, of course, the COPS grants, uh, which significantly went away and disappeared for a while that. But more importantly, the redirection, if you will, of funding, effort, energy, people uh, being redirected towards other enterprises and away from, if you let's call it domestic crimes, those things that occur in your community, your city, your town, um, because of refocusing on such things as uh, terrorism, um, immigration issues, and uh, illegal immigration issues, and that. It's only, it's you can't spend the same dollar twice, and so it's a matter of where you put the money. Exactly. Much as, uh, as, uh, as you and I uh, only have so much money coming in, then we have to make decisions on how we're going to be spending that. And any one de- decision that we make uh, precludes our ability to make the same level of decision or emphasis, you know, putting our money again. And like you said, you know, one dollar only spends one time in one place. And so that's the thing that happens. 
In addition to that, uh, I should mention to you that, okay, we have this lowering. Even with all the bells and whistles that we have now, computers, uh, GPS, the whole nine yards, that, um, again, it goes back to what is it that we really know. There was this wonderful article about two years ago called The Missing Missing. The Missing Missing, yeah. And that means that there, uh, it was a study that um, they looked at the number of people, uh, adults and children, who go missing annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nice thing is, is that roughly 95% of that 1.1 million people return, adults and children. That's However, good. Wow. Uh, I wanted, I was wanting to find out how well any of these things work. So, yeah, the uh, what happens is that there are a lot of folks that don't come back from wherever it is that they are, and we don't know where they are. And of course, the problem with serial killers is, is that let's say that once they're identified, uh, and then through their help or through uh, extended investigation with additional evidence, then we discover that many of the people we thought were just missing were in fact murder victims. So that complicates. Uh, and confounds uh, the whole issue regarding uh, serial murder as, and lust murder in particular, because most of these missing that remain missing, and the victims again are women and children. I write true crime, and I mm-hmm. and uh, that would make me crazy if I didn't have <laughs> another outlet. So I also write uh, mysteries. You know, uh, aside from all the scholarly stuff, write uh, mysteries, fiction mysteries. Do you do this for the same therapeutic reason I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, uh, well, I have done that. Um, but I haven't in the last uh, well, four years because I was working on that Ph.D. And so having finally got that, I'm hoping to get back to um, <laughs> writing mysteries again. I've taken lots of notes. and Tell us a little bit about uh, Kaplan. I beg your pardon. Oh, Kaplan University. Yeah, they meant uh, Howie Kaplan. Well, there's that from the turtles, but uh, no, no, for Kaplan University because I know um, we've got a bunch of uh, students listening today. I would certainly uh, want to shout out to them. But why don't you tell the rest of the audience what you do and how that all works? Right. Well, I, I recently, in the last uh, uh, three months, I uh, took a position uh, with Kaplan University. I'm the uh, new department chair for the master's degree program in criminal justice. Uh, Homeland Security and Emergency Disaster Management. Oh, that's nothing special. (laughs) (laughs) That'll keep you busy. But this is is this a wonderful opportunity. I mean, and that's why I I took it. We have eight hundred, or slightly over eight hundred, master degree program um, graduate students uh, taking one or one of the uh, degree program emphasis that we offer, and. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a wonderfully uh, dynamic, interesting, and uh, positive experience for the students. And one of the things I'm doing is, is helping uh, do some uh, revisions of programs and, and processes in there, so that it's more uh, dynamically interactive. And I'm working with a tremendous team of, of individuals uh, to do that. And um, one of the things with, with Kaplan is that they are extremely competitively uh, uh, paced in terms of cost for students to take these online courses, and it's all online. So and Howard, I, uh, so Howard to, could take this course? Um, you need a bachelor's first. Well, I would say, a PhD, I would say I've got a, a bachelor's and a Ph.D. Well, no, <laughs> you don't need... Huh? You, need, you need to have a bachelor's degree uh, in criminal justice. Oh. And our, our, although we, we accept uh, students that are not uh, currently employed in uh, the criminal, any criminal justice field, uh, the vast majority of our students are criminal justice professionals who are interested in uh, providing additional information, skill set development for themselves, as well as uh, providing themselves with current and future opportunities for promotions. And that's the dynamic of the degree program is that's what we help them do is prepare for promotion and uh, uh, activities both now and in the future. 
and that's what the thrust of the whole program. Now, what these two clowns here that I co-host the show with? <laughs> yeah. Clowns. They call what they, I do have criminology credits from Suffolk uh, as an undergraduate. Uh, Would that get him in? I have criminology uh, uh, credits also for being a criminal. Well, it, that I've already known, and I'm glad you, 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 you know. But I know I find this rather interesting because uh, I think it's going to put more people. It's an opportunity to put more people into the system, you know, heading in the right direction, um, you know, than you know, with brick and mortar. You know, than oh, absolutely. I mean, the uh, the Kaplan program. Um, is really for those folks that are both time and distance challenged. I mean, if we have uh, working professionals, and uh, when I was doing my uh, my master's work, uh, when I was uh, up in uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, at the time, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> trying to work on the master's uh, program uh, required me to drive, you know, 50 miles. Um, there was evening programs and uh, a sparse few weekend. Uh, so it took a significant amount of uh, time, effort, uh, energy, and uh, uh, with the University of Dayton, um, you know, because it's private uh, Catholic school, uh, the, the money was there as well, I mean, in terms of tuition and that. Where, and what, with a, there's a, you've got about 800 students in the program, where primarily do they hail from? All over the United States, and we also have international students. Oh, okay. Now, what do you, what do you talk about? When, we don't have much time, but I want to hit on this. On the homeland security, is, is a lot of that BS or is that real stuff? BS? No. Oh. In regards no, to homeland, uh, no, of course it's not BS. <laughs> okay, I thought I'd ask. <laughs> nice try, Barola. Well, what it comes down to in regards to homeland uh, security is that there are individuals, both uh, foreign and domestic, who can and do pose a uh, significant uh, potential uh, danger uh, against uh, uh, citizens in the United States, individuals and citizens in the United States. And so part of it, uh, uh, a major portion of it, is planning for uh, what to do in, in the event of how to manage uh, and work with uh, multiple agencies to provide both the protection and... Um, Response. Well, Professor, 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 Doctor, uh, you owe us twenty-two minutes. By the way, uh, yes, and, and, I, I will. <laughs> and we're going to collect that hopefully sometime in the near future. You are a ball to have on. Thank What's you. What's the name of the book? Aronsafontophilia, investigating last murder. <laughs> <Dot> com. <laughs> yeah, and apparently the Kindle is cheaper than the hundred and twenty-seven dollar hardback. <laughs> but that's okay. It's what, worth every penny. Worth every penny. Hey, okay, one, yeah. of, one of my out-of-print books is currently for sale for $2,000, okay, which is luck. more than good I good made luck. on it. That $127,000 book, though, you marked the good parts. Yeah. <laughs> I've got little flags there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Janet. Uh, say hi to your students. Thanks a lot. And we'll I have you out again you. soon. Bye-bye. And uh, the kids from Kaplan stick around because it's more fun. To oh, be that's had. right. You can find something really offensive to laugh about. Yes, if you, you stick can. around, you'll really enjoy it. It's better than college radio. Magic Bad Allen and the Demons of Decadence coming up next on Outlaw Radio. Bye. 
my father's in the fireplace and my dog lies. Yeah, but